Growing up, Candid Camera was one of my favorite television shows. Anybody see it? Candid Camera. And some of you will remember the punchline, smile, you're on Candid Camera. The show's crew orchestrated pranks which caught people off guard while filming their reactions. It was a humorous half hour of television. One episode featured a prank staged on a college campus. The candid camera crew posed as career consultants. They took the brightest students and they gave them a battery of tests and interviews. The students were told that the testing would determine the career positions that their personalities were best suited for. Well, the students chosen were articulate, they were adept, they were the cream of the crop, and very ambitious. Each assumed that the counselor would probably tell them they were cut out for bank president or corporate executive or maybe research scientist. But with each student, the consultant set them down and he would report after a careful evaluation by our panel of experts, it's been decided that the best job for you is shepherd. Shepherd? The facial expressions of the students were stunned. They were hilarious. These people were shocked and floored. These ambitious 20-somethings didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Who in their right mind would want to be a shepherd? And what does it say about you when an expert thinks that you have what it takes to be a shepherd? It was such a relief to the students when the advisor told them, smile, you're on candid camera. But think about it. Who in the world would want to live their whole life with smelly, stubborn, stupid sheep? The life of a shepherd, especially in the Middle East during the first century, was extremely rigorous responsibility. The shepherd lived 24 hours, seven days a week with his sheep. The sheep were in constant peril. The shepherd was always on duty. You know, it's interesting. Dogs are known for their loyalty. Oxen for their strength. Cheetahs for their speed. Rabbits for their ability to multiply. But sheep? Sheep are known for their sheer stupidity. If one walks off a cliff... The rest of the flock are so dense, they're liable to follow him to their deaths. This is what made the shepherd's job so grueling. And sheep were not just stupid. They also were selfish. They would devastate a pasture. They would gorge themselves until the ground was bare, until nothing was left. Sheep were notorious for damaging land. And they were also edgy and excitable. They would scare at the drop of a hat. A lone jackrabbit could cause a stampede. This made the work of the shepherd dangerous and demanding and difficult and draining. As, camera, as candid Cameron knew, who in their right mind would want a career caring for dumb sheep? And yet here in Isaiah 40, and then later in the New Testament, in John chapter 10, none other than the Lord of glory, Jesus himself, signs up for this tough job. Jesus is a shepherd to God's sheep. Here is another portrait of Jesus in the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, Jesus is in mind. When the prophet writes these words, Isaiah 40, verse 11, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arms, 
and carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Jesus is a shepherd to God's flock. And here Isaiah tells us how Jesus tends His sheep. He feeds them and gathers them and carries them and leads them. This was also what Jesus said of Himself in the New Testament. In John chapter 10, He uses the same metaphor for His ministry. You see, because shepherding was such a strenuous job, it created some tough and roughneck shepherds. Hard work sometimes makes for hard men. And in the first century, shepherds had gained a notorious reputation. You see, the shepherd spent so much time out in the fields with his sheep, fighting off predators, catering to the stubborn sheep. Some shepherds forgot how to act civilized. Shepherds developed some uncouth habits. When finally they returned to civilization, they often stirred up trouble. Shepherds were rough and wild and rowdy. In contrast, in John chapter 10, twice, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Oh, he's rugged. Jesus is rigorous just as much as any other shepherd. He likes the hard work, but he also has a soft heart. Most shepherds let the stupidity and selfishness and shakiness of the sheep create in them a callousness toward the flock. But not Jesus. The good shepherd is kind and patient. He gently leads the flock. Jesus cares for his sheep. And this morning, I'd like to examine the outline Isaiah provides us, and then we're going to color between the lines with Jesus' words about his own shepherding in John chapter 10. Notice first, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 says of Jesus, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. Jesus feeds his flock. He nourishes us with spiritual strength and courage and virtue. He hydrates our soul with satisfaction. Jesus feeds his flock. In John chapter 10, verse 7, it's put this way. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. A familiar sight at the time of Jesus was the sheepfold. Every green hill had a holding yard for the sheep. These dotted the countryside all over Palestine. The shepherd would bring his flock in at night to, to the shelter where they would be protected from elements and from the predators. The sheepfold could be a cave. Often it was an enclosure made of mud or thorn bushes. Most often the tall walls around the sheep were piles of stone. The only way in and out of the sheepfold was through a narrow opening. The sheepfold had no actual doors or gates. The shepherd became its door. His body became the barricade. For once the sheep were all tucked in at night, the shepherd would then lay over the threshold and he would stay between the sheep and the dangers that stalked them. And this is the kind of relationship that Jesus has with his sheep. There's only one entrance into his kingdom, and that's through him. But when you come to him, he takes personal responsibility for you. 
He protects you and he feeds you. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He promises salvation and pasture. Jesus doesn't just save us. He wants to satisfy our inner longings, our basic needs. You know, pastures in Palestine, they aren't the huge flat grazing lands that you might find in Texas. Most of Israel, especially near Jerusalem, is rocky and mountainous. Tiny pockets of pasture lay in between steep slopes. Ample supplies of lush grass were often difficult to access, and it took a skilled, caring, experienced, determined shepherd to find pasture for his flock. And likewise, we too live in a rocky, barren world. Spiritual pasture is hard to come by, but our good shepherd, he knows our need, and he knows where the pasture can be found. He always keeps his flock full and satisfied. I love the expression Jesus uses. If anyone enters by me, he will go in and out and find pasture. I hate to admit this. It might reflect a little bit on some of my habits. But when I read these words, I think of in and out Burger. A California dietary staple. Last week I was out in California. And the moment I exited the plane, I sought pasture at the in and out. <clears throat> I usually get to double-double. Think juicy, succulent, satisfying, two pieces of cheese, double hamburger patty. Oh, man. The whole time I'm in California, it's in and out, in and out. I pull in, I graze a bit, then I go out and exercise until I'm hungry again, and then I'm back in. It's in and out, in and out. And this is the Christian life for you. There are moments when the Good Shepherd feeds us. Oh, He stuffs us with love and strength and wisdom, but then He runs us. He exercises us. Jesus doesn't want fat sheep. He wants healthy sheep. You know, in ancient times, sheep were raised for their wool and their milk. The only time they were slaughtered was for sacrifice. And thus, the shepherd didn't want plump, chubby sheep. He wanted to grow them lean and healthy. And the same is true of Jesus. He feeds us with spiritual truth. And then he leads us into the application of that truth. We go in to rest, and then we go out to serve. At times, the good shepherd leads us in to feed us and protect us. But then he leads us out beyond our normal boundaries. He wants to stretch our faith. He wants to work up a stronger appetite. He leads us in and out, in and out. The Christian life is a blend of feeding and leading, satisfying and then stretching, security and then service. Always remember, Satan's goal for you is disaster. But Jesus leads you into pasture. Verse 10 tells us, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Never forget, this is Satan's desire for you. Whenever he tempts you to wander from God's will or God's flock, this is the destination you're headed. His ways end in death. 
He wants to rip off your blessings. You know, usually when the wild dogs attack a flock of sheep, it's not for food. They simply want to tear and mutilate the bodies. The dogs have a perverse desire to do nothing but destroy the sheep. And this, that right there, that's Satan's desire for you, your life. On the other hand, Jesus promises, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Literally, the word is superabundance. You know, I think that too many Christians, they settle for less than God's best. I mean, it's like chicken broth and chunky chicken noodle. Which would you want? I'm going to take the chunky chicken noodle every time. And this is the Lord's desire for your life. He wants you to have a rich and full and fruitful and chunky life. Our only limits on the blessings of Jesus is the littleness of our faith. Once a man, he told of his first drive over the Rocky Mountains. It was in a 1946 Ford. The steep grade of the mountains took its toll on the motor. It overheated, forced him to stop several times. The trip was stressful. Oh, he eventually made it over the mountains, but he didn't enjoy the ride. He sure didn't see much of the scenery. Recently, though, this same fellow, he made another trip over the Rockies, this time, though, in a brand-new Ford truck. This time, his motor purred like a kitten. He climbed the, in, he climbed the mountains and the, and the steep slopes. He hugged the curves coming back down. This trip held no apprehension. His journey was fun. In fact, several times he stopped to admire the panoramic views. And you see, without Jesus... Your life is like that man's first trip over the Rockies. Stressful. You're overheating. Things go wrong. But with Jesus, it's like the second trip. Jesus makes a difference. You see, with or without Jesus, the road is the same. Life's terrain doesn't change. Everyone's life is full of steep stretches and sharp curves. But it's the power of Jesus under my hood. That's what makes the difference. That's what causes me to run better, to not overheat, to have the power to handle the curves and the inclines. Oh, the challenges remain, but I can enjoy the journey and savor the scenery when I live my life with Jesus. He promises to feed his flock. But he also gathers the sheep. Isaiah writes, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He knows us by name and draws us together. If we stray, He's quick to bring us home. You remember Luke chapter 15. Jesus told a parable about the one lost sheep. The shepherd loved that one sheep enough to leave the 99 to rescue and to bring him back. Here in John chapter 10, Jesus tells us, verse 1, Most assuredly I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You know, in ancient Israel, often multiple flocks and shepherds used the same sheepfold. They would stay together at night. They would use the same fold. And the shepherd would lay his body over the entrance in order to protect the sheep. 
Only a thief would try to scale the wall or to breach the fold in some other way. A shepherd would just go straight to the door. He was recognized. He was loved by his sheep. A shepherd had a relationship with each of his sheep. I mean, why not? They spent their days together. They were with each other year after year. A shepherd knew his sheep personally. To the shepherd, his sheep were like pets. He treated them like you would treat your dog or your cat. You know, a shepherd might approach the flock. I'm sorry, a stranger might approach the flock, look out over the sea of sheep, and just conclude that they all look the same to him, but not the shepherd. No, he would be quick to disagree. He would start pointing out the subtle distinctions because he knows his sheep. Watch that one over there. Watch how it walks. Its back hooves are sort of pointed inward. Look at the patch of wool missing off of that sheep's back over there. Or look back over there. Look at that sheep. Its ears bent. Or look over there. Look at that discolored spot above its left eye. The shepherd knew his sheep. And this is why Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 14 of John, He says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. In verse 3 He says, He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. Understand, Jesus knows us, yet He still loves us. At the end of John chapter 2, it was said of Jesus, He knew what was in man. Jesus can read people. He has an uncanny ability to anticipate our thinking and to measure our character and to take the temperature of our hearts. Psalm 103 verse 14 reads, He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. When we come to Jesus, it's not like a job interview where you're trying to put your best foot forward. Hey, He already knows your faults. There's no sense paving over with pretense. Jesus knows His sheep. But here's the exciting news. He loves them for what they are. Warts and all. Blemishes or not. Oh, Jesus knows that sheep are prone to wander. That sheep have a stubborn streak. That sheep struggle. Oh, that one back over there, his problem is pride. And You see that sheep? He's battling with lust. And you see her over there? She can get a little angry at times. The good shepherd knows each of his sheep, their strengths and their weaknesses. And yet he loves them anyway. He uses his knowledge of the sheep and how he leads them. And in, how he, and in what He feeds them. In fact, Jesus loves His sheep so much that He calls them by name. I mean, a good shepherd gives a name to each of His sheep. That, that sheep back over there that wants to be an actress, we'll, we'll just name her Merle Sheep. And that female sheep over there, you know, that thinks she can sing, you know, country? That's Miranda Lambert. And that funny guy always cracking all the, all the jokes, you know, we'll just call him Wooly Allen. And that wild and crazy rock and roll sheep, that, that's Kid Rock. And that fat sheep always bleating on the radio, that, that's Rush Lambaugh. And those musicians that can really play, we'll just call them U2. <laughs> and that guy with the Uzi and the bandana, oh, you know who that is. That's Lambo. <laughs> Sorry for all the bad jokes. 
My point is, is that a good shepherd knows each of his sheep by name. And Jesus is that kind of shepherd. This past week, I taught a block class at the Calvary Chapel Bible College in Murrieta. And I had a young girl from Korea in my class. Her name was Hei Jung. It took an old southern boy several times to get that name down now, trust me. But I finally got it. And every day, several times a day, I made a point of calling her by name. On Thursday, I solicited some feedback from the students. And here's what Hei Jung wrote me. She said, thank you for remembering my name and calling me every class. I feel these classmates are really family in Christ. It meant something to her that I learned her name. Jim Payne operated the Texaco station next to our old location over in Stone Mountain. And on Sundays, Jim would visit the nursing home and, visit, and he would minister to the old folks there. He told me that when he first started, he had very little success. He would walk down the hallways, greeting the patients. Oh, hello, Mrs. Jordan. How are you today? Well, Mr. Morgan, it's a fine day today, isn't it? They would respond with blank stares, maybe give him a slight nod. One day, Jim asked his predecessor what he was doing wrong. Well, the fellow asked him, he says, do you call the patients by their first name? Jim said, well, no. He felt it inappropriate to call his elders by their first name. The man said, Jim, next Sunday, use their first names and see what kind of reaction you get. And so Jim tried it. He walked down the hall. Hello, Wilma. How are you feeling today? A big grin rolled across Wilma's face. She asked him to sit down and visit a while. Charlie, how are you on this beautiful day? Oh, Charlie lit up. He instantly started sharing what was on his mind. And Jim said he discovered the power of using a person's name. You see, next to the word Jesus, the sweetest sound you'll ever hear is that of your own name. This is the personal love and concern that Jesus shows us. When he says in verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name. After Jesus had risen from the dead, even his faithful follower Mary failed to recognize him in the garden. She mistook him for the gardener. Of course, she thought he was dead. Three days earlier, she had witnessed his brutal crucifixion, even, had even begun his burial. She wasn't expecting to see him. It was a shock and surprise. And as we've discussed, maybe there was some terrible facial scarring that obscured Jesus' identity. Whatever it was, it caused her not to recognize him. In the end, what turned the tide was when Jesus spoke her name. For the moment he said, Mary, she replied, Rabboni, my teacher. You know, her father used to scold her, Mary. The other girls would whisper, you hear about Mary? The men in her life used to say, Mary, baby. Her parole officer would just kind of shake her head in frustration and say, Mary, Mary, Mary. But the way Jesus said that name, Mary, it spoke hope and forgiveness and respect. She always delighted in Jesus speaking her name. We're told in verse 4, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. We gather to the sound of his voice. This past Friday I finally got home and 
I'd missed paying a bill, and so I had to call one of those automated services to try to pay my bill. They kept wanting my personal identification code. I'd already given them my name, my address, my account number, my phone number, my shoe size. Good grief. But they wanted my personal identification number. And I really got mad. I started screaming into the phone. I was wailing at the machine. It wasn't exactly my finest hour, as Kathy pointed out. (laughs) I'm just glad I'm not a number to Jesus. He doesn't ask me for my pen. (laughs) He gathers me by calling my name. And then thirdly, Isaiah says, the good shepherd carries us. When we grow weak or when we fall or when we get injured, Jesus promises to pick us up and carry us in his bosom. He cradles us in his arms close to his heart. Notice John 10 verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Only the good shepherd loves the sheep enough to carry them through the dangers. You know, sheep face all kinds of potentially lethal enemies. Wild animals and treacherous terrain and desperate thieves. A good shepherd has counted the cost. He's aware of the hazards. He's willing to lay down his life for the flock. Once a tourist was visiting a Syrian shepherd. He noticed how the man laid in the opening of the sheepfold. He was the gate for the sheepfold. After gathering in his sheep, he would lay over the opening. The shepherd told him, he says, I am the door. No one gets out or gets in unless they go over me. You've heard the phrase, over my dead body? That's quite literal for the shepherd. On a nightly basis, the shepherd was willing to lay down his life to protect his sheep. And this is what Jesus means when he says in verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. He alone lies between us and peril. You know, the world is full of danger. Sheep are prone to wander. That makes for a bad combination. Satan is the thief looking for an easy mark. He's the wolf licking his chops. We're safe only because Jesus stays in the doorway between us and the enemy. Jesus isn't a hireling. He's not just a hired hand. See, the hireling cares very little for the sheep. He only works for a paycheck. He doesn't love the sheep. They belong to someone else. They're not his sheep. He's in it for the money. You could say he could care less about the use. All that matters to the hireling are the bucks. The bucks. Literally. Jesus spilt his blood to purchase the flock. Don't you think that he'll do all that's necessary to protect his investment? Jesus won't drop us at the sight of danger. He carries his sheep and sacrifices his life for the sheep. I'm sure you've read the poem, Footprints in the Sand. A man's journey through life is compared to a walk on the beach. And in the wake of the man, they're seen two footprints. He and Jesus have been walking side by side. But there's a stretch where there's only one set of prints. 
The man asked the Lord, he said, where did you go? That was the time when I needed you the most. And Jesus replied, that's when I was carrying you. See, we don't have to see Jesus to know he's carrying us. Think of being carried by the shepherd from the sheep's vantage point. From the shepherd's bosom, nestled up to his chest, buried in his arms. I doubt if the sheep can see his face. Yet he still knows he's being carried. And the same is true for us. You don't have to see Jesus to know he's carrying us. The footprints are his. The story is told of a medieval knight who went to, to the Middle East on one of the Crusades. He was captured in battle and he was brought to the Muslim sultan, Saladin. The knight pleaded for his life. He told Saladin about his wife and children, how they needed him at home. Saladin was unmoved. He said, ah, they'll get over your death. They'll learn to live without you. The knight begged. He said, oh, no, they won't. My wife will never recover. Finally, Saladin proposed a test. He says, I'll save your life on one condition. If your wife sends me her right hand, then I'll know she truly loves you. To the sultan's surprise, the woman cut off her right hand and shipped it to him. And today, there is a church in England with a statue of a woman who gave her hand for the man she loved. And yet, Jesus has sacrificed far more to save us, not just his right hand, but his very life was cut off for our sake. On the cross, the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Under the Old Testament sacrificial system, it was the sheep who died for the shepherd. But under the New Covenant, it is the shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. Jesus carries us to the cross to die in our place. The good shepherd was sheared so that we could be saved. Jesus feeds and he gathers and he carries his sheep. But the good shepherd also leads his flock. Isaiah 40 verse 11 tells us, He will gently lead those who are with young. Jesus treats his people like pregnant lambs. <coughs> this past fall, I had the chance to speak at a leadership conference in New York. Our host, Pastor Scott, he had met a real-life Irish shepherd. He actually had him come to the conference and he interviewed him. And it was fascinating to hear a genuine modern-day shepherd describe his love and his care for the sheep. What I recall most about his talk was his concern for the pregnant sheep. They're especially vulnerable. They don't even have to be touched. Often they're so skittish that they die of fright. If they're not kept calm, they shiver so much that the umbilical cords disconnect and they lose their lambs. And Jesus leads us like a shepherd who cares for his pregnant lambs softly and tenderly. Our good shepherd is gentle. You see, inside the believing heart, he knows that the seed of God's Word and the life of God's Spirit is growing. And rather than risk a miscarriage, he handles his sheep with kid gloves. The good shepherd knows that if protected and given time, the believer will bear fruit. But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And so the shepherd who understands this process, he has patience. Notice chapter 10, verse 4 in John. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In the morning it was the shepherd, not some stranger, who would lead his sheep from the fold. His sheep were familiar with his voice, and they followed. As I mentioned earlier, often several flocks would be housed in the same sheepfold. At night, the sheep would all intermingle, get tangled up together. But in the morning, the shepherds would shout out their particular calls, or they would play their flute. And instinctively, the sheep would unscramble, and they would follow their shepherd. The story's told from World War I about a battalion of Turkish soldiers who tried to steal a flock of sheep from a pasture just outside Jerusalem. The shepherd had dozed off, and he didn't realize what was happening. When he awoke, he ran to the edge of the cliff, and he saw his flock being led away. Well, there was no way that he could fight the soldiers single-handedly, so he cupped his hands around his mouth, and he shouted out his peculiar call. The sheep all stopped, and they listened, and then they turned around, and they rushed back to their shepherd. And the soldiers were powerless to retaliate. The sheep knew their shepherd's voice and was trained to follow. Reminds me of the Adam's flock. When my four kids were younger and it was dinner time, they could be scattered all over the neighborhood. And yet I had a special call that alerted them to come home. I'd walk out on the back deck and I'd shout out my signal. Hoo-da-hoo! Hoo-da-hoo! And it didn't take long before all four of those kids would come lumbering up the driveway. My little sheep knew my voice. They were familiar with its tone and its pitch and its cadence and its accent and its volume and its depth. It wasn't just the words I shouted. It was their familiarity with my voice. See, you could have shouted hooty hoo until you were blue in the face. My kids would have turned a deaf ear. They'd probably look at you and wonder what you got caught in your throat. It meant something only coming from the right voice. And likewise, Jesus' sheep should refuse to respond to any other voice than that of their shepherd. The relationship between the shepherd and the sheep was based on familiarity. They lived together. They learned each other's voice and ways and tendencies and mannerisms. Sheep follow a shepherd because they know him. They're familiar with Him. And this is what frustrates me with a lot of Christians. (coughs) They expect the Lord to lead them, but they've done nothing to familiarize themselves with their shepherd. For all practical purposes, He's a stranger to them. Jesus is calling all the time. He's whispering. He's even shouting His hooty-hoos. But the sheep are dense and slumbering. They aren't paying attention, and they fail to recognize His voice. See, here's what happens. We get into trouble or we reach a sudden crossroads in our lives and we cry out to God for direction. Yet we've never opened our Bibles to hear how God has spoken in the past or spend a season in prayer to hear His heart. We've never examined His ways by meditating on His works and thus we fail to receive the vision we need. Not because He's not willing to speak to us, but we're unfamiliar with His voice. Divine guidance is no secret. It's not some spiritual hocus-pocus. 
God doesn't communicate through a series of mystic vibrations or supernatural sound waves that are only picked up on by the super spiritual person. No, the sheep know the shepherd, and the shepherd loves the sheep. Guidance comes out of an intimacy and familiarity. When you read your Bible, you're eavesdropping in on God's thoughts. You're learning God's inclinations. Then when you need to hear from Him, it really isn't that hard. Not when you're familiar with His voice. One characteristic you learn quickly about the Good Shepherd is that He never drives His sheep. You've heard of a cattle drive, but you've never heard of a sheep drive. You can drive cattle, but you have to lead sheep. Jesus says in verse 4, He brings out His own sheep. He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him. You'll never find the shepherd in the rear of the flock, cracking the whip, beating the sheep, forcing the flock down a path they refuse to travel. He doesn't drive the sheep. He leads the sheep. See, Jesus uses familiarity to guide us. The familiarity that exists between you and Him. He uses that to introduce into your mind a new idea. At first it's so subtle, you're not sure whether it's from Him or it's from you. But soon you warm up to its implications and you start to see its possibilities. And before long, this idea becomes the desire of your heart. Something you can't wait to do. And you recognize, wow, that was the Good Shepherd leading and guiding my life. Once an Israeli tour guide, he had just explained to a group of tourists that a shepherd never drives his sheep. That's when the bus zoomed past a shepherd driving his sheep. Well, the tour guide lost some credibility. The next time he passed through that area, the guide saw the fellow. And he asked him, he said, hey, why would a shepherd be driving his sheep? The man replied, well, everybody knows a shepherd leads his sheep. He doesn't drive his sheep. Tour guy said, well, exactly, that's what I thought. But the other day, our tour bus saw you beside the road driving a herd of sheep. That's when the man told him, he said, yes, but I'm not a shepherd. I'm a butcher. <laughs> Satan is a butcher. He doesn't care for the sheep. So he drives them to destruction. Listen, if you're a driven person, if you're one of those driven souls and there's no peace in your life and there's no rest in your heart, you're not being led by the good shepherd. Maybe by your own ambitions or your own pride. But you're not being led by the good shepherd. If all you dwell on in your life are the goals you've yet to obtain or the money you haven't made yet and you care little for the relationships that are going uncultivated, know for certain that the thief is hurting you to market. Satan's goal is the destruction of your sanity and integrity, the breakup of your marriage, the collapse of your family. Whereas the good shepherd, he loves you. Jesus doesn't drive his sheep. He leads them to good pasture. He feeds and gathers and carries and leads. What more could a flock of dumb sheep want? Is your shepherd the good shepherd? In July 2005, several real-life shepherds, they met at a cafe in Istanbul to eat breakfast together. While they were inside, to their horror, they watched 1,500 of their sheep 
jump off the same cliff. A newspaper reported, in the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. The tragedy cost the sheep owners $100,000. The sheep were so stupid, they all followed each other off the edge of the cliff. You see, sheep are dumb. That's why they need a shepherd. Did you know that sheep can't survive without a shepherd? And neither will you. Don't follow the other sheep out there. Follow the shepherd. He knows best. If you don't know Jesus as your good shepherd, I suggest you submit your life to him today. And if you have decided to trust Jesus, I hope you're breeding and building some familiarity between you and him. The sheep knows the shepherd, and the shepherd loves the sheep.